Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we dissect the Washington roster and take a peek at some of the quarterbacks in the draft that might tempt Washington. They have been studying this group for a while. I don't think there's interest in all of them, but I definitely know some are firmly on their radar. Logan is a must-follow on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. He does film breakdowns on there and is one of the smartest I know at analyzing a player or a game. And he's very big on analyzing draft prospects, especially those tight ends, but overall as well. So pay attention and go follow him. You can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up this week about Washington's pursuit of quarterbacks and why they think they're in a much better position now to be aggressive looking for one than they were a year ago. Now, you might disagree, but it's how they think. In some ways, I agree with them. With other parts, there's a leap of faith as far as how they view the roster. And even Ron Rivera admits that some of his optimism stems from his natural optimistic outlook. I also don't think they were in position to be overly aggressive last offseason. That also depended on the quarterback they would have been able to get. But outside of Matthew Stafford and the Rams went way above what they were willing to offer, there weren't many options aside from the draft. And while I like Justin Fields, obviously I watch him because of the Ohio State connection, but I do like him. I think there are other quarterbacks in that class I liked as well. I would not have given up a ton to move up in the draft to select him or anyone else in that class for that, in this class for that matter. I definitely would have looked at trading up, but I would not have mortgaged a lot. And my understanding is that teams wanted a lot for them to move up. Now, I don't know if that that's what I've heard. So take it for what it's worth. Anyway, what I would have done, though, is tried to accumulate more assets for the 2022 draft. I would have worked really hard to trade out of that 19th pick. Someone has to want to move up for that to happen. So we understand that. But I would have looked hard just to get more picks and provide more options to be aggressive this offseason for a quarterback. Because at that point, you knew you didn't have one for, for for 22 and beyond. I said this last year, so this isn't hindsight. That's why I like what the Eagles and the Giants did in getting more first round picks for this draft. They're in a better position to be ultra aggressive if they desire for certain quarterbacks, unless one tempts them in the draft like a Kenny Pickett, but they are in a good spot to be aggressive. Anyway, we'll get into all that as the offseason unfolds. As far as the first round of the playoffs in the NFC East, it's clear why Washington needs a better quarterback. But look at Dallas. It paid a ton for Dak Prescott and lost in the first round again. I've always liked Prescott, but there's always been a limitation to his game as well. Is it all just coaching or is it on him? Combination? Probably, I don't. Well, I think people who know that situation better would know better. Regardless, I, I've always liked him um, just to a certain degree. Dallas will still enter next season as the NFC East favorite and deservedly so. But they have work to do with their offensive line and the run game. And what happens if they lose defensive coordinator Dan Quinn? 
Prescott remains the best quarterback in the division. But we'll see if that's still the case after this offseason, given the needs of the other three teams. I don't buy at all that Philly is sold on Jalen Hurts as their definite guy moving forward. And I can't believe a new Giants coach will be okay riding one more year on the Daniel Jones train if there's a chance to grab someone much better. And I think there probably would be. With the Eagles, I agree with my friend Grant Paulson, who has said this a few times on Twitter, that they remind him a little bit of the Washington 2020 playoff team, especially more so on defense, where the ranking was built on playing a lot of mediocre or bad quarterbacks, especially in the second half of the year when they played better. I still think it's a good defense, but is it a top five unit for next year? I think you're going to play a slightly harder schedule. Um, so we'll see, but I, I think there was some of that was built on the quarterbacks they faced, and you can go check them out. But the Eagles do have strong lines on both sides of the ball, and they have those three first-round picks, pretty high too. It was So I think they are in a good shape to build on what they did more so than probably Washington. And I do wonder about Hertz's development as a quarterback. Couldn't he become a consistent passer? Um, or are they going to have to stick with that run game, which I think offers a ceiling as to what you can do. It was nice to see Eagles defensive end Ryan Kerrigan make some big plays Sunday. He had two tackles for loss and one and a half sacks. Yes, he wanted to come back here and would have played for around the minimum. I'm sure he could have helped at times, but I also don't think the backup ends, James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill, were the big problem. Both did what they were asked to do, and the D was good when they were starting, in part because they manufactured more pressure with their down blitzes. Again, I still, I've always liked Kerrigan as a, as a player and what he offers. So I'm not even saying they shouldn't have brought him back, but I think where they had problems with the depth on the line is after those two, the Shaka Tonys and guys like that, that didn't develop the way I think they had hoped. One thing that surprised me with Kerrigan that can't be glossed over, no sacks and 314 regular season snaps. But I will say, when you have young pass rushers, it's good to have a vet backup who commands respect and is accomplished. Kerrigan was not a vocal guy here. He led by example. Chase Young clearly respected him, and you could hear that in a lot of Young's comments last year. But I also think he could use someone who isn't afraid to tell him, hey, that's not working. Sometimes it's better to hear it from a peer, from a, from more so from a peer than from a coach. Probably a lot of times it is. Chase is receptive to discussion and wants badly to improve. What he worked on last offseason was not done in defiance. It was done because he wanted to improve in an area where he thought he was weak. He wanted to work on aspects of the game that he felt he needed, that he felt needed to be honed. He didn't shy away from the work. But maybe a veteran voice, somebody accomplished, could have told him, don't forget who you are and what your strengths are and play to those. Now, I will say this. Rivera has talked to him about that quite a bit. But again, it helps to have somebody in that room who is a player who can sit you with you in the locker room and, and, and talk to you about this stuff, because I've seen this happen with a lot of veteran voices before. Could Kerrigan have been that guy? I think in some ways, yeah. But again, he wasn't a vocal guy. He would have, again, I still think he would have helped, but, you know, he's in Philly now. That's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we dive into the rookie class analysis plus more talk about Chase Young and what he would recommend, and a quick look at some possible rookie quarterback targets. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sportsbook betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with a huge odds boost for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the action of the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code KIME, and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Logan Paulson. All right, Logan. Well, time to dissect this season and then look ahead because I think, you know, after a while, you, we can only do so much and you got to look forward to see where this team is going, if they're going in the right direction, all that. But I am curious from your perspective, 7-10 and 10 record, we saw what happened the last month. We saw the four-game winning streak. We saw the early struggles. How do you, what's your big takeaway from this season and in, in general, how you felt they did? Well, I think the expectation was that they weren't going to do as well as they did last year. I think, you know, coming off that first place schedule, which you've talked about on the show before, um, I think that's an important variable that fans and, and people who follow the team need to consider, that they were playing better opponents, playing better quarterbacks, playing better rosters kind of throughout the year. And I think you were going to expect some struggles. I think the thing that's a little disappointing to me looking back on the season is the first four, five games of the season and how long it took them to kind of gel as a defense. You know, I did something for um, Washington, football team, Washington football today where I took out the first four games and the two COVID games just for the defensive analysis purpose. And they became a top five unit in everything except for um, third down conversion. So, like, obviously that is, I think, pretty telling of kind of the season, you know, when they were kind of meshing new guys together on the defensive side of the football um, and they didn't have all their starters in, they weren't playing at a very high level. So I look at that and I say, well, obviously they, the defensive philosophy is, is sound. It works. It's it's effective as long as they can execute and get those guys on the same page, which I think is something that I feel a little bit better about having done this. And I think the other thing is obviously offensively, I think they're somewhat limited. You know, I think they're limited by the quarterback spot. I think they're limited by their lack of playmakers on the outside. I think they need to kind of really do a lot of self-scouting regarding the running game because you look at what they did against the Giants, for example. They got away from doing all that RPO stuff and got into more like traditional outside zone. And obviously Gibson was running well which I think helped, but also those guys were blocking really, really well. So um, I think those those kinds of things um, lead me to believe that they are correctable and they can do some stuff going in the next season, but they do need to, to do some work and they do need to find a better way to start faster. What, what would be the solution there? Because some of that comes back to maybe a slow evaluation on certain players. So why do you feel they started slow? Yeah, I think, you know, it's something we've talked about a little bit before. I think um, I, 
when I look at it, you know, after watching, going back and watching those first four games specifically, like they, you can tell guys don't understand the scheme necessarily. They don't understand um, the details of the scheme. And I think a little bit of that is, um, is playing kind of a limited role in preseason. I know like I'm, I might be uh, in the minority there in terms of thinking about preseason being really valuable or finding a way to kind of do a joint practice. I think the joint practice to me, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I agree with you on that. I think you need, if you're not going to play stars in preseason, you got to find out about guys somehow, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. I think uh, that's, that's a fantastic point about the joint practice. I think that's 1000% correct. And I think um, another thing that I would, uh, you know, consider is, is, you know, I've been on bad teams before and bad offenses specifically, and you go through training camp and you as a team, as a staff, you think, oh, wow, this defense is playing at a really high level. They're going to be able to keep us in some games. And then you get into kind of some joint practices, some preseason stuff, and you realize, oh, that's not necessarily the case. We're just bad on offense and it makes them look really, really good. And so I think that that, not to say that this group is a bad group on offense, but I don't think they're, they're obviously not um, you know, Kansas City or the Buffalo Bills or one of these groups with with a good quarterback and good playmakers on the outside across the board, right? I think they've got good playmakers offensively in certain spots like Terry, Gibson, McKissick when he's healthy, Logan Thomas when he's healthy. But in terms of having a flushed out kind of uh, playmaking group, I think that's something this team lacks. So obviously the defense is going to be able to play better against that group. A guy like Landon is going to be able to cover better against a group like that. And then you get him against more strict competition and you say, oh, well, he maybe he can't do what we thought he could do. Um, and I think that's always something that helps with the evaluation process. As a player, I hated joint practices. I hated the preseason. I, you know, I was one of those guys. Um, I, I understood the importance of preseason, but I wasn't like gung-ho for it. But as an evaluator and as a coach, you immediately see the value in those crossover things because it, it, it gives you a really nice barometer of where your roster's at before you get to the first game. I remember back in 2015, we'd see like, you know, there were times where Robert and early in practice looked pretty good. Then the Texans came to town and things looked different. So you start right. to learn more about guys and he's not the only one, but that's always, that's always a primary example. But with, with this offense, how would you evaluate Scott Turner? So, you know, I haven't done the offense yet. That's like kind of like my next week project, but kind of my gut reaction coming out of the, um, the season is that at, I think, at times he pushes himself and he does a good job. Like if you look at the Tampa Bay game, I thought he did a nice job against Carolina. I thought he did a nice job um, from a run game standpoint in terms of changing things up. And um, I think, so that's how I feel about that. But in terms of a pass game standpoint, I, I feel that sometimes he gets a touch predictable, you know, and that might be again, because of who he's got playing quarterback and kind of the carousel of skill position guys and, and the lack of general consistency within the offense. But sometimes I'm like, he, you can tell the plays he likes and the play philosophies that he likes. And that I think he doesn't do a good, good enough job of varying formation and varying concept to get to similar positions on the field. So you kind of say it's third and whatever, they're going to run across or they're going to sit over the ball or they're going to flood a zone. And when you know that's coming as a defensive coordinator, it makes it a little bit easier to prepare. He does throw wrinkles in every once in a while. So I'm not going to say that he hasn't done that throughout the year, but that's something I'd like to see going into next season, him, him just push himself a little bit more in that area. You know, not that he did a bad job. Again, I don't think he did a terrible job, but I think he could he could be a little bit um, more creative, push himself. And especially when you have a roster like the one that they have, just finding different ways. If, if you believe Terry's your number one receiver, find ways formationally to give him free releases, find ways formationally to get him in better matchups. 
And that's just one simple example that he doesn't do. It's kind of line up and go play ball. Um, and I think that that's something that definitely could be improved upon. And I, you know, and if I was giving advice to him and I would say this to his face, I think maybe try to a diversify formations a little bit and b diversify past concepts a little bit, just, but again, I don't know. I wasn't in the room with them. I don't know what he feels right. Taylor Heineke feels comfortable doing. Well, that's what I was going to ask you too, because obviously you get a lot of, I get a lot of mentions about Scott Turner. I'm like, Oh, they got to fire him. Like, mm. but then you look at the quarterbacks they've had the last two years their quarterback play has not exactly been top half of the NFL. How much when you're looking at a coordinator and you brought up some good examples, so I know those are some ways that you're going to look at it, but how much do you look at what they have at quarterback, what they can do versus other ways they're doing to make it work? If that right. makes sense. Uh, yeah. So I think there's like this really cool synchronicity between a coordinator and a quarterback that needs to be understood by your listeners and the best coordinators understand their quarterback at a really high level and so I look at the games where Taylor Heineke successful like I look at the first Tampa Bay game just as an example of the playoff game and they did a lot of three-level throws they they kind of have a protection set up that's very advantageous for the offensive line and those are kind of considered simpler reads and maybe that's what he feels really comfortable doing so you might want to do all this crazy stuff and get in these different formations and it's also not only about what he feels comfortable seeing from a defense and how to read a defense with a concept, but it's also what he feels comfortable calling. Maybe he can't verbalize a really complicated nuanced mm. play call with a lot of verbiage in it. And there are guys who have a really hard time with it. Like uh, for example, when I was in San Francisco and they brought Jimmy Garoppolo in, he's learning a new offense. He's coming along. He came in like mid season. Kyle would have to really peel back the verbiage of the play. So he could just say it in the huddle. And I think that that is something that needs to be considered because if he, if the quarterback can't say it, he can't articulate it, then the, then the offense can't execute it. So I think that's a huge factor in terms of what Scott Turner might feel comfortable doing, what Taylor Heineke feels comfortable doing. And um, obviously like you want that guy to be the most comfortable player on the field kind of at all times. And you sometimes have to peel back your offense a little bit to make that happen. Like I remember with Robert, Kyle was very vocal about the idea that he felt Robert couldn't kind of, go on long drives so our offense looked very different than like when Rex was playing quarterback for example just as an example or when Kirk was playing quarterback there was always a shot play you know our first 25 there was probably with Robert at quarterback there's six to ten six to ten shot plays that he's going to get called that game with Kirk it's a little bit more kind of your traditional offense and I think that good coordinators are able to identify that and so we have not seen um, Scott Turner in a situation where he's got like a guy necessarily you know like I think about last year Dwayne Haskins obviously there's some mental limitations there in terms of how he studied and prepped for the game and then Alex Smith obviously has some physical limitations and then you get guys who are kind of they're not limited as much physically or mentally but they're not like starting caliber decision makers mm -hmm. and Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke and so again you want to mitigate some of that risk with those guys and you you never can really let the doors off. Even when he was working with the offense in Carolina, you know, Cam Newton is not an A plus decision maker. So you're seeing not the fully flushed out version of the offense. And I just go back to my time with Kyle and Sean, and that was a really frustrating element for them when you talk to them is that they could never fully flush out like the offense because the quarterback couldn't, whoever it was at the time couldn't handle it. So I, I never assume that the, that the coordinator is is being restrictive because of their own intention. It's, it might be, there's, there's a million factors that go into it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Looking at you and I have talked a lot about rookies, both, you know, just privately and, and on mm -hmm. here, 
looking at the rookie class. And I want to go over a couple of the guys there. Um, let's start with, I'm going to start with John Bates because of how he finished. And I see the smile on your face right now, but he finished really strong. And even in that last game, and I know they're playing the Giants, but when you, when I went back and watched, I went back and watched Antonio Gibson because I felt like he ran so well. Again, mm -hmm. in that outside zone, that's the best I've seen him, the patience, the pressing the hole. And then there are times when you're watching it that not only is it like you've got Cosme ceiling outside, you've got Bates blocking the way he did. So I think there's like something to build on there, even if it was a meaningless game against the Giants. But specifically with Bates, he did seem to finish strong in, in a lot of ways. What's your take on his season? I just think he's a guy who, like, when you look at his college tape, he became the pro that you thought he would become, like, almost immediately. He became – and I'm, I don't say this lightly. He's, he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL, in line. Like, he is – he does a fantastic job. You can put him on a defensive end. You can put him on a linebacker. He understands counts in the run game. And he's very physical. He's very strong in that specific type of strength. And he plays at a high level. And then the other thing that his tape in college showed was that he could catch the football a little bit. He had very good ball skills. And that's come to life in a nice way. And I think um, I think he's going to be a very good football player for the Washington football team for a long time. And that skill set in the NFL, like we've talked about before, is very, very challenging to find and very, very challenge, challenging to cultivate. And now you've got that. And if you want this to be part of your identity, this being running the football and being physical, you've got a really nice piece that can help you get that done. So I think that that's something that I, I'm really excited about with him is that he you you kind of knew it was there based on the evaluation stuff. And then just to see how quickly it came to fruition and the type of player he can be. And just like how he'd be such a nice complimentary piece, so like a healthy Logan Thomas and what that personnel of, of two tight ends in the field becomes for you. Now, you know, you can move Logan Thomas around a little more, maybe get him in a matchup situation that's more advantageous. Bates pass protection came a long way over the course of the season, which was another nice feature of his game. You know, you could line him up on a defensive end. They did it a couple of times against Dallas, which was great. And um, that's awesome. It's nice to have that physical blue collar guy that you can count on in there down in and down out. And so um, I'm really happy that that pick that they made that pick and that it's, it's, it's grown the way it has. And this is a little bit minutiae, but he was talking about too, how one of the things he adjusted to was his second step mm. and his second step felt like you put him in position what when you hear that, what does that tell you? Well, second step is like your your power step or your contact step. And so um, finding ways like that's the thing that people struggle most with, in, in my opinion, in the run game is your first step kind of sets your angle, sets your position on the defender or your departure angle, whatever you're going to do. And the second step is kind of getting getting it down, making sure that you're not crossing your feet over because if you know you could stand up at home right now cross your feet over have someone try to push on you, you're going to fall down right? right so making sure that you have that good base when you're delivering that contact and making sure that that contact step is in the right position in relation to the defender right because if i'm too short with it i'm going to have too big of a piece he's going to pull me back if i'm too wide i'm going to be loose and he can beat me inside or whatever it may be so I think that that's really um, that's something that I liked about him in college is he seemed really refined with that. But that also speaks to the coaching here that they're able to get him to transfer that skill set to the NFL level because it does. It changes. Right. Guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Your rhythm and timing on those on that footwork element changes a little bit because of the speed of the defender. So, yeah, I think that's that's great that he's that he's aware of that because that's something that's very technical and it's very, very important. And it's nice that he's identified it and that someone in, in the building seems to have helped him identify it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sam Cosme, what, what was your take on it? And, I, and, you, and you said like you're still working at the office, so maybe this changed after evaluating yeah. more. But the initial thought coming out of the season. I mean, I just think he's going to be... He could be really special, I think, is, is the exciting thing. And I'm a little disappointed they didn't play more football for the team this year, right? He kind of played a lot early. He got um, hurt, then he was on the COVID list, and he just didn't get to see what he could be. But when he did play, I think he's get a tremendous athlete. He's very, very athletic. I think he understands run angles, and he's so quick off the ball. that, like on those backside cutoffs and stuff. He, it's so easy for him for the offense to gain a gap. And that is so valuable in that outside zone game that they're running. And him working with Brandon Sheriff was just a thing of beauty against the Giants. And I just wish I could have seen more because I think he's a pretty good pass protector. Uh, athletically, he's a good pass protector. But I think at times, this is something he did in college, he leans a little bit. And that's just mm-hmm. something that gets corrected with reps, you know, just time on task, seeing different types of rushers. But he's just the way he's able to get himself in position, which is like really, really challenging is just, it's awesome. It's just, he's like a big dancing bear out there and that's great. And now it's just kind of refining that because <clears throat> I do think he could, he's, he could be your right tackle for a very long time, just with his skill set and his physicality. We got to see how his health holds up over the next couple of years, because obviously he had an issue with that this season, but um, I was really impressed with him. And I think you get really awesome value in the second round. I think that's a guy that probably could have been a first round pick and so to get him in the second value and for him to play to that also in the same way Bates did, you know, he played at a very high level. Um, I was really encouraged by that. And it, it, it's scary to think what he's going to be coming in a year or two if he puts in the work and he kind of is the player and the worker that he was purported to be coming out of Texas. What When a guy, because he does, and I've noticed that too, he does bend a lot when he's in pass pro. What is that a function of and how do you get out of that? So to me, it's just under, it's a couple of things, right? So he's such a good athlete that he was able to get away with that a lot in college. So what happens is when you lean forward over your feet, oftentimes the rusher will kind of knock you down and pull you down and you'll fall forward. And um, he's he has this just amazing ability to like snap his head back and his shoulders back and recover from that, like in a way that is very unique to him. And so when you can do that against a bad rusher in college over and over and over again, you don't realize you have a deficiency in technique. And the crazy thing is he's able to do that against a guy like Joey Bosa and survive the down. He could just make it easier on himself, right? Kind of sitting and anchoring. His arms are a little short, so he's mm-hmm. got to find a way to kind of get a little bit extra length, and that comes with a little bit of body lean. And he, he's just able to make it work. And so I think for him it's about understanding when he can do that, when he can throw that punch, and when he has to sit back and be patient. And that's, again, it's so cool that these young guys have this tremendous abilities Are these – this tremendous skill set already because it's all they need to do is just get some more reps and see guys and, and think about Cosme. The second they come back for off season, right? He's going to see Montez sweat. He's going to get to work on that the second he gets back. So um, I think he's going to be a really good pro and I, I feel really good about his position on that offensive line. Assuming he learns those things we just talked about and also can stay healthy. And of course the guy next to him might not be there next year, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Brandon does a good job in terms of um, helping him out. And like, you know, he's really good at like the subtle things. Like we talk about 
double teams in the Giants game, just as an example, like for him to just to know just to how to get enough on the down guy so that Cosme can get over the communication that he does with that whole group just makes everybody better. So uh, that'll be a really interesting thing to It'd see how, Cos- yeah, how Cosme develops without that piece there. Um, the next one, Jamin Davis. Now, again, you and I have talked about him a ton, and I think he's been a widely debated one because people expected him to come in here. They talked about playing middle linebacker. I'm not sure, based on what I heard before and after the draft, that that was his best spot, but they wanted mm-hmm. to try him there. And he, it wasn't working there because they wanted to play more freely. Now they view him more as an outside. There were times, Logan, where I saw the progress this year. And there were some, even in the last game, he had one blitz that led to the McCain interception, the yeah. second one. That was a really good job. And then I thought at times he was really good covering in some areas. And then you saw growing pains and you didn't see the, the big time impact that you'd want to see out of a, a number 19 pick. Yeah. What, I think- what, what, what's your take? So I think this is something that's really important for people to understand. I think if you look at linebackers, drafted linebackers, high drafted linebackers, they usually struggle. Like, I mean, if people look at like Devin White, the kid from Baltimore, like statistically in their first two seasons, they might have a lot of tackles, but in terms of coverage busts, fitting runs, they struggle with that, right? And the reason they play a lot is because they don't have anybody else. And here they have the luxury of having five off, five defensive linemen. They have uh, Holcomb. They had some other pieces landed that they could kind of intermix in there to make that a little bit more secure. So I do think that that's something to be considered. Linebackers usually, obviously, Micah Parsons is the exception. And in some ways, I think it's important to note that Micah Parsons struggles in some of these categories that have come to define the modern linebacker position, right? If you look at, like, they have to be better at coverage. They have to fit They kind of these – unusual runs and he gets a little lost in those two but he makes up for it because he makes these splash plays and so I think um, when you look at Jamin I think when I watch him you know you mentioned his coverage abilities like I think he's very special in that way and then when he gets running like he is a freaky special athlete and I think that's the thing that kind of keeps you coming back to the party with him is there's a play in uh, in the Giants game for example where he's one-on-one with Saquon Barkley and he's step for step with Saquon you know like on a on a go route and then I remember against Philadelphia, he's one-on-one with um, uh, the receiver from Alabama, number six. Oh, Devontae um, Smith. Yeah, Devontae Smith, and he's running step for step with Devontae. And, like, you know, for him to be 6'4", 6'3 240, 235, whatever he is, and for him to be able to run like that with his, with his length, like that, to me, is something that you can, you can never teach that. That's never going to be taught. And so for him to have that, kind of those gifts from mom, dad, and God already lined up, ready to go. I, I think he's going to be a good football player. I think he's, from what I've heard, you might know better than me. I've heard that he's a good worker, that he's yeah. studious. And I, I would expect that next year you'll see him be a lot more comfortable in making plays. Like at Kentucky, it took him a couple of years. It takes linebackers in the NFL a couple of years. Obviously, on average, rookie linebackers struggle. And so like when they drafted him, like I had high expectations for him as well. But I had to temper those expectations when I could see kind of the person and the player that um, he was going to be. So I do think that's um, obviously it's somewhat disappointing, but you see this ability, you see this ability for him to run and get to the football in a fast way. He, he has intuitive coverage ability. You go back to the Kansas city game, just as an example, him matching concepts with Tyree kill, like that athleticism is, is rare. So I'm not ready to sell the ship on that yet. And I, you know, like as, as much as they want to say, we need a mic, we need a mic. There's guys, linebackers grow a lot from year one to year two because they understand the system a lot better. So I think that's something that um, I would just, you know, be patient with him. I know that's frustrating for fans to hear, but 
when you look at his athletic ability, man, it is, it is something very, very special. The other thing, Logan, with, with Jamin is, you know, again, they drafted him to be a certain spot and mm-hmm. they also may have Landon Collins coming back. So then you wonder how do they use, yeah. if they bring them both back, how do they use both? Because you want Landon on the field, but if Jamin's on the field a lot and you have the middle linebacker and they like Cole Holcomb, how much can you run a base? Can you run a lot more base if Cole and Jamin are on the outside? And then does that lessen the need for a guy like Landon? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you think Jamin could be. And like when you look at the way they utilize Landon, I think Landon has a very unique skill set for the NFL at the moment, I think. And, and it makes him really special. He can kind of play. He played a lot of cover two, kind of Tampa two positioning in the defense. Right. He played over the slot. He was very aggressive as a run defender from the slot, which is a very nice skill set. So I do think athletically, like if I'm being totally honest, Jamin has that in him. It's just about whether mentally he can handle kind of the diversity of responsibility, right? Does he know when I'm over the slot and the back and the uh, cross sift action goes away, I have to fit in the B gap or does he still fit in the C gap? Because he had a really challenging time with that this year in terms mm-hmm. of fitting runs and understanding where to fit based on motions and based on post-snap action in the backfield. And he didn't do a lot of that at Kentucky, so that was kind of the expectation. But he, it was even, it was even surprising how much he struggled with in the NFL. And so that's the, que- that's the million-dollar question, in my opinion. Is, uh, athletically, you can do all the coverage things you want, Landon, you know, that Landon did for you. Mm-hmm. But um, can he fit the runs the way Landon did? Because that's because yeah, Landon's really good in that area. He's exceptional, and like you know, like we've talked about that before. It's so funny how good he is at it. Because you know, you think, oh, he's a safety, but he's he's really good at taking on blocks. He's really good at knowing where to be, and uh, that's something Jamin has just not shown a great proclivity proclivity for at the moment. And it's funny because even with Landon, I remember talking to him his first year here, and he was good at avoiding crackback blocks, even mainly because he knew how to anticipate things because based on formation alignment. But it tells you when you have that anticipation what you can avoid, and it's like people may not even realize it, but he does, and it helps him. So I think like Logan is very smart in that area. The other guy I want to ask you about is Chase Young because you know a really strong finish to his rookie year, mm-hmm. and not. The first eight games, obviously the ACL, but those first eight games was not the impact that he or they were hoping he would make. What can he do to get back to that rookie year impact? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that he needs to um, get healthy off the knee. I think that's going right. to be a big priority this offseason. I know that's probably obvious. I saw you kind of sigh, but that's like a big element, right? right. Um, and then, um, and then obviously, I think just as a pass rusher like having a plan, having, and I've said that before to you, and I know that sounds really obvious, but you see effective, effective pass rushers know who they are. They know who and what they are. And that takes a skill set in and of itself. Like, you know, like you knew DeMarcus Ware was going to come with a long arm and like, that was what he was going to be like Ryan Kerrigan. He had one move and he was really, really good at, and that's what he was going to do. And he was going to run it 30 times in a row and if you screwed it up one time, he was going to get a sack. And that's just how he lived. Von Miller, you understand he he's exceptional because he's got a couple things that he's really good at. And he's got a couple things that he's very confident doing. And when I watched Chase as a rusher, I just felt like he didn't have a good rush angle. He didn't have a good rush plan. And then that led to him kind of stuttering his feet and right. being indecisive and not good. Like, you got to go in there and say, I'm dictating my approach to the offensive lineman. He's such a physical freak. Like he could honestly just bull rush every single time and have 10 sacks on the year. Like that's how good he is. Right. But he doesn't, he didn't 
tune into that. He didn't have someone, he doesn't have some veteran leader in the room to say, Hey man, like I think about my time in uh, Atlanta and Dwight Freeney was there the year before. And they talked about Beasley, who was a first round pick and how just having that mentorship there helped him become a better pass rusher, helped him understand who he was as a rusher. And then when Dwight Freeney left, Beasley really struggled. But I think that that's, that's just kind of a little anecdote story. I think just right. having someone other as a D-line coach, Jack Del Rio, Ron Rivera, that says, this is who we are as rushers. This is what, this is what you are going to do, and I need you to trust me. And, I, you know, I look at some of the stuff he did in the offseason, and it looks really cool for Instagram, but, like, it doesn't it, – none of it was very sports-specific in terms of him becoming a better pass rusher. And, um, obviously, like, you look at what he is physically, and you know it's there. It's just about – kind of that mental aspect of the game and finding, finding who he is. And I, I, I think there are people out there that can help him with that. And I don't, so it's, it's not like this immeasurable or monumental thing for him to overcome. It's something that's, it's very doable, but um, it's going to take a little bit of work on his part. And I know like, and I'm only bringing this up now because we got months and I don't want to spend three months wondering if Chase Young is going to show up to OTAs or not. It's a voluntary thing. Yeah. But I know, obviously, Ron Rivera wants him to be there. And mm-hmm. they I, they see a value in that, specifically because of what you're talking about at, with, in working on pass rush areas. Is that important for him to be there I, for that? And, and if so, how? I think it just it just sets the tone for, like, your season in a lot of ways. Like, I never missed an off-season program because I never had that luxury as a player. You know, I was always kind of a fringe guy. But I always felt like I was – I learned the most. I grew the most as a player in terms of – you know, you talk about Bates in the second step, like that's something that I got to work on in the off season. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a time allotted for you in the day to just practice and get better at football, football specifically, right? Obviously these guys are working out, they keep training, but in terms of finding someone to like, think about this, like I, you know, I do a little work with um, some of the defensive linemen, like Casey Tuil specifically, like I pass at him. I physically pass at him. I put a helmet on and I pass at him. That's how we practice, but that's very specific. Finding someone to do that for you is very, very challenging out in the real world, right? And so you're always rushing on air. Your angle's always a little off. You never get the right thing. And so I look at Chase and I'm like, that's why there's an advantage because he gets to rush on a real person. He gets to see whether what he's doing is being effective. And so if I'm Ron, yeah, if he's if he's a 10-year vet and he's been really productive, yeah, go do whatever the heck you want in the offseason. That's fine with me. But if, if you are struggling to find who your identity is and what you want to be as a rusher, Come practice against guys who are good at football. Come practice against Cosme. Come practice against Lucas. Come practice against Leno. And those guys will show you whether or not you're 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 improving. And that's something that I always appreciated about offseason work. Last thing I want to ask you about, because you said that you've watched some of these quarterbacks in college. Yep. So I'm curious. And we're, I want to get into this more as we get down the road. Yep. But just early on right now, some initial impressions. And the the, the word is – that clearly not the same level of depth of a quarterback class, not as not considered great. I do know some people consider it good and that there are some guys here they feel can play. There just aren't enough of them. So what's your initial take and who has jumped out to you? Yeah. So I think it's, it's really interesting because like last year, it was kind of an embarrassment of riches in terms of guys who showed big arms, ability to process defenses, consistent decision-making and, high level of high levels of accuracy, like all those top guys, even like David Mills, for example, and Kyle Trask showed that ability. And so this year, I feel like if either one of those guys came out, they would be in this conversation just to give you an idea. Okay. Barometer, right. I think, uh, I think Pickett is a guy just from like a physical standpoint that kind of stands out to you. They um, he's got a decent arm again, like 
just some of the decisions he makes on a down-to-down basis, you're like, Ugh. but he does kind of have a little bit of gunslinger to him, big playability. Malik Willis is a guy that I think from a tool standpoint is probably the best of the group. But again, there's times like if you watch his Navy game, for example, like you're just like, what are you doing? Like we're not playing in time. We're not playing in rhythm with anything. And uh, but then you watch a Syracuse game against a much better opponent. You know, he went to Liberty, Syracuse, big school. And you see the competitiveness. You see him making guys miss. You see his ability to push the football down the field with accuracy. His footwork's very inconsistent. But in terms of just like a ball of clay, you'd be like, man, like he's got all the tools. Like how is he as a student? Obviously transferred from Auburn because he lost the job to Knicks, who's not as good of an athlete or a quarterback. So what happened there? And that's that's a big question mark for me. Um, Carol, I watched uh, Tennessee, I watched Alabama, and I watched Louisville. If you watch the first two of those games, you man, you think, man, this guy can't play. He doesn't have the skill set. Then you watch him against Louisville, and he looks like a top, you know, right. like the top guy in the draft this year. So I think that's the other thing is depending on which game you get, it kind of speaks to the inconsistency of the group, right? Kind of say, oh, this game amazing. These two games, not very good, right? Um, and then there's uh, Ritter from uh, where's he Cincinnati. From? Cincinnati, who has a lot. He's like he's like the final form, if you know anything about Pokemon. Of um, <laughs> my kids of, played it. Of, of Taylor Heineke, right? He's yeah. got a little. He's got Moxie. He's got competitiveness. He's got a better arm. He's a little bit taller, six four. But again, there's probably five decisions in a game. Where you're like why on earth did you throw that ball? Right. And that, so you kind of say, well, can you get him out of that? Can you coach him out of that? He's got a weird release, very low, you know, yeah. it's like kind of near his ear. So he gets a lot of balls batted against Alabama. I think get five batted yep. balls yep. like that. So that's something that kind of sticks up. And then the other guy that I was really curious about because he has a very high completion percentage was strong from Nevada. Right. And I was really disappointed with him, honestly, because mm. his numbers are so inflated because they run kind of this. Um, it's like a lot of check down type throws. Okay. The catch. And he's so he lacks so much athleticism that it really hurts him when it's in the pocket. He can't even move around in the pocket like everyone's like, oh, Mac Jones isn't a good athlete, for example. Right. But Mac Jones had some dexterity in the pocket could move. This guy's a little bit more statuesque. And so um, I think, you know, it is early in the evaluation process, but you definitely see the the kind of lack of top end stuff. Um, I think the great thing, if you're a Washington football team fan and you're looking for a quarterback, is that they're all going to be at the senior bowl. Uh, outside of Carroll, you know, and so you're going to get to compare one to one every day if you go and watch. And I think that's going to be huge. You're going to see how they learn the offense. You're going to see how they handle under center. You're going to see how they handle pro style stuff, because quite frankly, Pickett's the only one who operates in a pro style system. So like, you know, tight ends, fullbacks, running backs, right. formations and motions. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how they all handle that and how they all take coaching. Um, so that's to me, like the big date I've got circled on my calendar is the senior bowl, because right now it's probably Pickett. Carol, depending on which game you want, uh, Willis from like a physical tool standpoint, because the dude is special as a runner, he's special as a thrower. And then I like Ritter, but again, he does enough bad stuff to make me think he's like a top end backup, low end starter type guy. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, finding that mix of where those guys fit, I think is going to be good. And being able to just see them together in a group will be really nice. And then do you look at initially right now, and again, we're couple several months from the draft but do you look at them and any of those guys and say that's a guy I would consider where this team is picking right I think I think um absolutely like it, like for example if if Carol Pickett Willis was there I would definitely consider it I would okay. it would 100 be uh on the table but I, when I was looking at the draft stuff uh yesterday or last week whenever that was you know they've got three teams that are looking for a quarterback you got New York right. in the 
there. You got um, Detroit's picking above us. Uh, there's another team. Oh, gosh, I can't remember. But yeah, there's three teams that could potentially say we want uh, Carolina's the other one that could say we want a quarterback. And so that's kind of a scary notion, right? Is that even though this is a low value draft class and the quite frankly, the first quarterback should probably go between 11 and 15, in my okay. opinion, after right. watching this. But everyone overdrafts quarterbacks, right? right? And they draft for need at that position. So does someone get desperate? Is there a run? Because there are three teams there that could make you a little nervous. Very good. Logan will be a constant topic this offseason, unless, of course, they go out and get a free agent or yeah. trade for somebody, and then that could change everything. But otherwise, these guys will be picked apart, and it'll be um, it'll be always fun because we'll have however many months of this until the draft comes. So I appreciate yeah. your insight, as always. Thanks a lot. Tell people where they can find all your good stuff on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Um, Logan underscore Paulson 82. Do some breakdowns. Got some coaches stuff on there, which has been really good to hear his good. insight after the games and stuff. So that's been awesome. And, yeah, that's that's where most of my stuff's at. There you go. Tell what's the, It's Logan Paulson 82? Logan, yeah. Logan underscore Paulson 82. There you go. Okay, there you go. Very good. Thanks a lot, man. Always great. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Wednesday. Talk to you next time.